Lord, we know that knowing you is all about life, abundant, eternal life. Thanks that whether our lives on this earth are short or long, whether they appear to be blessed materially or not, Lord, we have eternity to look forward to with you where the pleasures never end, where there's fullness of joy. And so, Lord, with reckless abandon, we cast ourselves on your care into your hands again this morning. And ask, Lord, that your Spirit makes real to each of us just those things you have for us, no less and no more. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to be in John 10 this morning, and this is the Good Shepherd Discourse. Jesus calls himself a Good Shepherd. We're not going to start in John 10. We're going to get there. But if you don't know a couple things before we get there, John 10 won't mean as much to you as it should, and it won't mean as much to you as it did to Jesus' original Jewish audience. The first thing, Gail, is about sheep and shepherds. You've got to know something about sheep and shepherds. You know, if you're like me, raised in the Midwest in a city, you might hear the, the descriptions in John 10, and they don't make a lot of sense because we don't see anything like this today. You know, in the Midwest, we have cattle, lots of cattle. If you drive along I-70, you might see cattle out in the field by themselves grazing away or walking on a trail down to the pond or whatever. Or you might see feedlots if you drive out near where Tanya's parents live. You might see some feedlots along the way and uh, small corralled areas where lots of cattle are present. Sometimes you might even see sheep in feedlots or on farms and situations like that too. None of that has anything to do with the picture Jesus is talking about this morning in John 10. Back in Jesus' day, and also, if you go to the Middle East, you can still see this stuff, this exact same stuff happening today. But for the sheep and the shepherds, this was an entirely different relationship than a rancher with herds. For the sheep and the shepherd, they basically lived together. Life for the shepherd was kind of difficult, could be kind of difficult. The sheep and the shepherd lived together. And if you start in the life of a sheep, if you start in the morning, that sheep was probably with his flock inside a sheepfold, this protective enclosure. It'd be like a corral today, but this could have been anything. This could have been a raised earth mound with some thorny bracken guard around the top of it. It could have been a stone wall. It could have been trees and sticks just put together like you'd see in parts of Africa today just to make a crude enclosure. But if you were one of those sheep, that's where you'd wake up in the morning in one of these sheep folds. Now, not unusually, you might be a sheep from one flock that's mixed in with two or three other flocks in that sheep fold. There were more sheep and shepherds than there were folds. So you'd probably be in this cluster of animals with more than just your flock. So you'd wake up in the morning, you're mixed in with a bunch of other flocks and a bunch of other sheep. When it's time for your shepherd to lead you out, this enclosure has no food or water in it, um, your shepherd now has to divide his sheep from the rest of the sheep. And this was easy for these guys because all they had to do was start down the trail and they'd call for their sheep. And whatever their call was, their sheep knew it. And their sheep, without any other work, their sheep would divide themselves as these shepherds left the sheepfold, the shepherds going different ways for the day with their flocks. The sheep would follow the voice of their shepherd. They wouldn't go the other with the other shepherds. They knew the voice 
of their shepherd and they'd follow them. That's as easy as it was to separate these flocks. There was no work. The shepherd calls out and starts walking down the trail and his sheep follow him. The shepherd would tend to, in the morning, take his sheep and look for good places to pasture for the morning. So green fields, that's what we want to see, you know, some good green fields and take the sheep out. They tend to feed in the morning. Somewhere towards the end of morning or early afternoon, the shepherd would look for fresh water for them. They'd go and they'd water. And then for most of the afternoon, he would hope to find a shady spot for them where they would bed up for the afternoon, rest and take it easy, until about evening time when he'd take them back to the sheepfold. And somewhere along about that evening time when he takes them back, he's looking over those sheep again and he's tending to them. So if they've picked up thorns in their feet or their fur or if they've been injured somehow during the day, that's when he's taking care of them. He's mending them. He's attending to whatever hurts they have as they go in for the evening. And you remember the shepherd, too, had a couple of instruments. One was a club and one was a staff. And the club was basically to take care of any predators that might come along and come after a sheep. He had a, a stiff, short club that he could ward off predators with. Then he also had this long shepherd's crook or shepherd's staff. He'd do a couple things with this. He would count often his sheep as they came through at night into that sheep fold with the end of his staff. It was crooked or hooked on the end so he could pick sheep up or pull them if he needed to. So the sheep would see their shepherd every day. They'd listen to his voice. They'd walk out with him. They knew, sort of. He was taking them where they could get something good to eat. They could get their water. They'd be rested in the afternoon, and they'd be taken care of also. And, of course, in Israel's history, you remember all the patriarchs were shepherds. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, this was their life. They were all shepherds. And shepherd, shepherding was a common theme in Israel. You remember David was a shepherd who became a shepherd king. David is the only king of Israel that God directly calls a shepherd. But also other uh, Gentile kings were also called shepherds. It was the thought that just as a shepherd was the leader over this flock, he was the protector and the leader, that a king over a nation was like a shepherd over that nation as well. He was responsible to protect and to lead them as well. So he had this very intimate relationship, the shepherd with the sheep. He's the one that leads them out. He's the one that calls them. They know his voice. They won't follow others. And you've got this life cycle in the day of a sheep. That's one thing before we get into John 10. The other is an Old Testament passage that I think Jesus has in mind when he speaks here in John 10. Uh, Most of us don't know the Old Testament prophets very well. And if I mention the prophet Ezekiel to you, you might think of wheels and wheels from the opening chapters, or you might think of valleys and dry bones. Ezekiel 37 and 38, those are the best known passages probably of Ezekiel. But Ezekiel 34 is one of the key Old Testament passages on shepherding from a spiritual point of view. Ezekiel 34. And God, through Ezekiel, castigates the religious and political leaders of Israel because they are lousy shepherds. And I'm going to I am going to edit my way through Ezekiel 34, and then we'll get into John 10. Listen to what God said through Ezekiel to the leaders of Israel during Ezekiel's days. This is pre, during, and post-captivity. Woe, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves, should not the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool, 
you slaughter the fat without feeding the flock. Those who are sick, you've not strengthened. The diseased, you have not healed. The broken, you have not bound up. The scattered, you have not brought back, nor have you sought for the lost. But with force and with severity, you've dominated them. They were scattered for lack of a shepherd, and they became food for every beast of the field and were scattered. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my flock has become a prey, my flock has even become food for all the beasts of the field for lack of a shepherd. And my shepherds did not search for my flock, but rather the shepherds fed themselves and didn't feed the flock. Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd cares for his herd in the day when he is among his scattered sheep, so I will care for my sheep and will deliver them from all the places to which they were scattered. I will feed them in a good pasture, and their grazing ground will be on the mountain heights of Israel. They will lie down on good grazing ground and feed in rich pastures on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock, and I will lead them to rest, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, bring back the scattered, bind up the broken, and strengthen the sick. Then they will know that I, the Lord their God, am with them, and that they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the Lord God. As for you, my sheep, the sheep of my pasture, your men, and I am your God, declares the Lord God. So, if you're a Jew in Jesus' original audience, when he starts speaking of sheep and shepherding, I'm assuming that we need the context of both sheep and shepherds and Ezekiel 34 in particular. We'll look at John 10. We'll only read verses 1 through 16 this morning. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. The figure of speech Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. Remember, this is probably a continuation of chapter 9, and part of Jesus' audience are the leaders in Israel. Jesus has just said we're blind leaders. Those would be the folks who still do not understand what he's saying here. Verse 7, So Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters. He flees because he's a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, 
and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. Look at the comparison or the contrast Jesus makes between the good shepherd, Jesus, and other shepherds, false shepherds, or poor leaders. Look in verse 1. Jesus says these false shepherds that came before him, they don't enter the sheepfold by the door. They gain power, we could say, by illegitimate means. Remember, in the sheepfold, there's only one way in, the doorway in. By the way, Jesus uses several kinds of comparisons here. He's the shepherd, but he also says he's the door, too. Some of these sheepfolds had a gate or a door in front of them. Some didn't. If it didn't have a door in front of it, the shepherd would take the sheep in, then he would sit or lie or sleep in the doorway. He became literally the door. But Jesus says the illegitimate leaders, they sneak in from another way. Their authority or their rule over the sheep is illegitimate. They're not the right people, and that's why they end up sneaking in. He says of himself in verse 2, he enters by the door. He comes in the right way because he is the real shepherd. Verse 5, these false shepherds or these poor leaders says, the sheep don't know their voice. They don't want to follow these guys because they don't recognize their voice. Remember that the shepherd was supposed to have this intimate, close relationship with the sheep so that when he spoke, it was the same voice they always heard. They knew who it was and they would follow. Jesus says of his own sheep in verse 3, they hear his voice, they know his voice. In fact, it says he calls them by name. Uh, sometimes these shepherds, depending on how big the flocks were, they would have names for every individual sheep. They not only could call, make their general call to get the flock moving, they could call sheep, individual sheep, by name. And Jesus makes this very specific to us or to his own when he says, he calls not just the flock, but he calls every individual sheep by their own name. And then it says he leads them out. He's the one who goes in the front where the legitimate shepherds go, and he's the one who leads the sheep out the front as they should as well. And then verse 4, it says, he goes before them. The shepherd, uh, by the way, you don't drive sheep, you know, typically, unless you've got a dog. And, you know, it's fun. If you've been to McPherson, I'm thinking of the Scottish festivals, you can watch sheep dogs. And they're, they're very good at what they do. And they tend to drive. And they work from behind. But shepherds don't. Shepherds lead. They get out in front of the sheep. And they lead. And the sheep follow them. And Jesus says in verse 4, that he goes before, just like a standard, a legitimate shepherd would. He leads from in front. Verse 10, these illegitimate shepherds are characterized by stealing, killing, and destroying. That is, just like those shepherds of Ezekiel, they're with the flock only for what they can get out of the flock. They don't do anything positive. Their effect is negative. They take what they can get for their own purposes In contrast, Jesus says of himself, the good shepherd, that he gives or he came so that they might have abundant life. His service to them is not self-seeking. It's for their benefit. He gives abundant life. In verse 12, when the false shepherds see trouble coming, they don't stand their ground with their club. They run away. They flee. And it says the wolves come in, they attack the sheep, and they scatter the flock. Jesus says in contrast to that in verse 11, one, he'll lay down his life for the sheep. And then in verse 16, he brings in all the sheep. Unless you're Jewish, this is a good verse for you to know because this is you and I. Jesus is speaking to a Jewish audience. And God's already said in Ezekiel that the Jews, Israel, corporately are his flock. 
But when Jesus says in verse 16, I have other sheep, they're not from this place, that's the Gentiles. He's saying that in the future, God was going to, into his flock, he was going to open it wider and he was going to bring in people like you and I, people who were non-Jews, Gentiles. So ask yourself as you go down this list, which kind of shepherd would you rather have? Which kind of shepherd would you want to follow? Not a hard question. Verse 10 is a great memory verse, by the way. Jesus says that his shepherding produces abundant life. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. So when you think of this, this life should reflect some of the fullness that Christ himself has to give. So fullness of life, that might look a little different to each one of us, but it should have some common themes. Fullness of life should have things like peace in it. Peace should be a part of what Jesus gives us or Joy should be a part of what he came to give us. Um, Some sense of the abundance of the experience of life that Christ gives to us. If if our life is characterized by depression or anxiety or something like that, before we come to Christ, afterwards it should be more characterized by peace and joy and abundance. This isn't always in material blessing, by the way, we often look at Scripture from very narrow, uh, blinder view. You know, Christians all around the world, many of them are quite poor, very poor. They wouldn't think that the abundant life means new cars and larger houses. They would think more in the sense of the spiritual and the emotional, and it should have at least that impact on our lives. But Jesus says this good shepherd comes so that his sheep can experience abundant or overflowing life. whatever that looks like to you. This is a good thing uh, for you to think about, a little bit of homework. Just ask yourself, what does abundant life look like for you? We'll talk a little bit more about this in a minute, but what does abundant life look like? Jesus says he came, the good shepherd came, so that his sheep would experience abundant life. You remember in chapter 9 we talked about the blind man? And I think we mentioned this then. But it's interesting in this comparison of shepherding styles, self-serving versus laying your life down for the sheep. You remember what happened to the blind man? The shepherds of Israel threw him out, but the good shepherd looked for him and found him and gave him sight and then gave him life. And this is the blind man I think we're supposed to see in him, an example of the shepherding styles of the false shepherds, the one Jesus said came before, snuck in over the side versus the real shepherd or the good shepherd. There's a reason why the scriptures, both testaments, often compare people like you and me to sheep. You know, sheep are uniquely stupid and they will get into trouble. They really, really, really need a leader. They really, really, really need a shepherd. Sheep will get lost. You know, you talk about the parable of the lost sheep. A sheep on its own, they just get lost. They don't know how to get back. They can't, they don't put their nose to the ground like some dogs will. They can't scent their way back. Sheep get lost very easily. If there's not a shepherd and predators come, they're easy for predators to pick off. They just circle around and the sheep don't know what to do. They have no defensive mechanism other than to stay in a group so they're stupid they're defenseless 
uh, they get sick. They have no way to care for themselves. You know, even, again, I'm thinking of dogs. Most of us have had dogs or, or had pets of some sort. You know, household animals have more sense than sheep do. Sheep need a shepherd. They're meant to have a leader, someone who will take them out and take care of them and bind them up when they need it. Bob Dylan wrote a song years ago in which he said, you've got to serve somebody. It might be the devil or it might be the Lord, but you've got to serve somebody. Well, that's, that's what it's like for us and sheep. We're compared to sheep because like sheep, we're never really on our own. Uh, people were not designed, we were not created to live life autonomously, that is to run things for ourselves. And the truth is we're always following someone's lead. We're always following a shepherd, if you will. You can follow the good shepherd, Jesus, and you can get abundant life. Or, whether you know it or not, you can follow other shepherds. And what you'll get is robbed, killed, and in some senses destroyed. Now, the scripture is clear in other portions that the pastures you and I inhabit, in essence the world we live in, is actually ruled by Satan. This world and the world system that we inhabit is ruled by a, an evil false shepherd, if you will, Satan, and, and those that he inspires. So all of us are impacted by a shepherd and by leadership. The question is not if, but it's who. What kind of shepherd are we being impacted by? What kind of shepherd are we following? If you're a man and you aspire to be a leader, a shepherd in Christ's flock, there's, there's something you need to remember, and it's this. The false shepherds, they serve, they lead, they take this position for what they can get out of it. And you remember in the Gospels how often Jesus castigates the religious leaders of his day? And you remember he castigates them for several things, some of it's hypocrisy. But he says they're in it for what they can get. They like to be seen on the street corner so people think well of them. Or they want to be given the most important seat at the table because that honors them. Or they want the trumpets to blow when they throw their money into the pot at the temple. Jesus says they're in it for what they can get out of it. And there's many shepherds like that today, certainly in the church today. But when Christ calls a man to lead in the church, he's really inviting you to do what he did, which is to lay your life down and serve at your own expense. To serve at your own expense. That's the deal. It's not this glorious thing that you get to do uh, short term. It's a messy, demanding job. And it's one that if you feel God's calling you to it, you need to come in realizing you don't do it for what you can get. It's a, the requirement to be an effective leader is that you lay your life down for others, that you put the needs and the, sometimes the desires of others ahead of your own. That's being Jesus' kind of shepherd. Peter knew a little bit about that, though he was a fisherman. He certainly knew something about shepherding. And in 1 Peter 5, at the end of his epistle, he says this. He exhorts the fellow elders among you to shepherd the flock of God, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, not because you feel you have to, that you're constrained in some sense, but voluntarily. You remember Jesus laid down his life voluntarily. When he calls a person to shepherd, to lead through service in his church, he wants them to do so with a willing volunteer attitude and he says not for 
sordid gain or greedy gain, not for what you can get out of it, but with eagerness, not lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples. Again, if you're a man who aspires to leadership in the church, you need to remember that to be a shepherd in Christ's flock is to be called to lay your life down like Christ did for the sake or the benefit of others. It's not a glory job. And I'll just tell you, having had something to do with church leadership for, I don't know, 20 years or so, it is often a thankless, messy, apparently fruitless work. And you generally, you, you're not in it for what you get short term if you do the bubbles blown in short order. But Christ calls those who lead to be like him, to be willing to lay their lives, their priorities down for the benefit of others. When you're looking at a church, you know, if you're in a position in which you've got to look for a church or you're looking for someone to mentor you or to get counsel from over some period of time, ask yourself this. Does the leadership of the church, or does that person you're thinking about being mentored by or whatever, do they display the character of Christ? Do they look like this shepherd? Does their leadership look like Christ's leadership? If it doesn't, you've got to ask yourself the hard questions. Is this really where you want to go? Is this really the kind of leadership you want to follow? And again, I think in evangelical circles... I think, frankly, we're blessed with lots of great churches and lots of great teaching on the radio. There's lots of, I think, godly leaders. But I'll tell you, there's a whole lot more than that, too. And there's lots of churches and there's lots of teaching. And there's lots of places you'll go where the leadership are the false shepherds and not the shepherds who have Christ's attitude towards his church. Ask yourself this question, too. Do a sheep evaluation. One, on one hand, you know, as a Christian who's got to have fellowship in a church and with other people who would mentor them, you look at others and you try to say, how do they stack up to Christ? Are they an example of Christ's character and leadership? That's good. That's appropriate. But also ask yourself this question. What kind of a sheep are you? What kind of a sheep are you? By that I mean this. Jesus says that his kind of shepherding produces abundant life. His shepherding produces abundant life. Now, I'm not misleading you here. This doesn't mean happiness forevermore. It doesn't mean no problems. For sure, it doesn't mean those things. You know, Paul says that if you're a Christian, you will be persecuted in this life. Uh, Our troubles, uh, the righteous man, Psalm says, falls time after time. He has troubles one after another. That's, That's not what we're talking about. But abundant life, that is, within yourself, no matter what's going on outside, you have the presence of Christ. You have the joy of the Holy Spirit. You have the peace of Christ in those things that are going on in your life. Ask yourself as a sheep, what's my sheep quotient look like? How abundant is my life? What's my experience like? And and I say that for this reason. If you look at your life and you say, it doesn't feel very abundant spiritually... Or emotionally, I really don't feel that connected to Christ the Good Shepherd, or I don't sense in my own life, my own heart, my own experience, much in the way of peace or joy or overflowing abundance, then I'd ask you this, who are you following? Because it ain't Jesus. To the degree that you feel this lack and this want and this dryness in your soul or your life, I would suggest that there's probably a good reason related to not spending time with your shepherd. Because Jesus is a good shepherd and he'll lead you 
to green pastures and to clear water. He'll bind up your wounds. You remember Ezekiel, this good shepherd, he's taking care of those sheep. That's what he'll do for you. So if you look at your life, if you do the sheep quotient test, and you say, my life doesn't look like that, then you need to ask yourself, are you following the good shepherd? Because there's a pretty good chance you're not. Pretty good chance you're not. This is the last Sunday before Thanksgiving, and I hope, among other things, when you think this week about how God's blessed you and and the ways He's blessed you in your life, think of this, that God has at His expense provided you and I with a good shepherd, with this one who came for our benefit, laid His life down for our sakes, so He could lead us to green pastures, so our sins could be forgiven, and He could restore our souls. If we don't have anything else to be thankful for, Thanksgiving or any other time of year, you can be thankful that you've got someone who paid the debt, do your sins, and is ready at any time to lead you home. That you've got a home. We're going to be there. We'll be together. That's our future. But whatever else is going on in life, this week, this Thanksgiving, when you thank God, remember to thank Him for the Good Shepherd. And let me exhort you as we close with this. Knowing that we've got a good shepherd, make it your aim to rise each morning out of your sheepfold of a bed and open your ears for the voice of the good shepherd. And you know where you're going to do that. That would be where he speaks most often. That would be in the Bible. Get up each morning out of the sheepfold of your bed and listen for the voice of your shepherd by opening your Bible. Graze in his word each day so that you will nourish your soul on those green pastures he's provided. Drink deeply from the water of life as the Holy Spirit, when you sit down in that time with God, makes real the pleasures of Christ that should be yours and mine. Drink deeply from the water of life. And certainly take your hurts and your wounds, and we'll have many of them. You know, the world's a tough place, and we're going to take our licks and our blows. You take those to Christ because he says he'll bind them up. He'll put oil on those wounds. He'll take the prickly pears out or whatever else we've got going. He'll bind us up. Take your hurts and your wounds to Christ and then thank God for Christ the Good Shepherd. And I wanted to close this morning by uh, reciting together Psalm 23. I just thought this was too good to pass up. So if you've got your Bible, you can turn to Psalm 23. If you know it by heart, do that. And let's just somewhat slowly and as you do prayerfully, thankfully, let's just recite or read Psalm 23 together and we'll close. Are you there? It'll be a little different. We've got different versions, but that's okay. We'll get through it. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You anoint the presence of my enemies. You anointed my head with oil, my cup. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Lord, Thanks for a good shepherd. Thanks for someone who is committed to watching out for our soul. Father, I pray you help us to rise each morning and to listen for the voice of our shepherd. 
Help us to allow him to lead us to those green pastures and those still waters. Thanks for one that binds up our wounds, Lord, when we're wounded and sore. Thanks for one that we can take all our cares and our worries to. And Father, I pray for each one of us that the abundant life Jesus said he came to give us would be more and more true to our experience. Lord, help us to follow that good shepherd into abundance of life. In Jesus' name, amen.